Well, good morning. I'm gonna get to talk to you guys today. And my name is Ashley. I need, I need the cups and the, I have a few little things to show y'all. And I need the, the, the Bible. Um, the Bible. Um, and so I have a lot of things. Okay, um, I'm gonna pray. So Father, I thank you for who you are and that you do go before us, that your glory goes before us. And um, I thank you that your righteousness is our rear guard. And I ask today that you would just open the eyes of our heart to see you and to see communication with one another, to see our minds and the way that we think more clearly, Lord, and that you would give us a boldness today um, to be uncompromisingly righteous and that there would be no thing on this earth that was able to distract us from you, um, that the things of this world would grow strangely dim and that we would look at your face and behold your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we've been talking about marriage and last week Chris Pletcher talked with us just about how in marriage there is more than just our happiness, but that there is the picture of, of covenant with God and an eternal purpose that can be worked out through our marriage. And um, today I wanted to kind of talk through you, with you guys the story, some of the highlights in the stories, or maybe more like the lowlights in the story of Tyler and I's marriage and the ways that we have learned how to battle together to walk in the fullness of God. And so I wanted to read with you guys out of 2 Corinthians 10, um, verse 3. And that's really the main passage that we're going to talk about today. And it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your, dis when your obedience is complete. So this passage says a lot. And what it says here in verse 3 is, it says, for though we walk in the flesh, and I think that can be interpreted just on earth. Like we walk here in a world where there is struggle. The Bible says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so we walk in, in a place where there is, the, the flesh is among us, that sin is among us, that the things of this world that aren't true, that do come and set themselves up against the truth of God are around us all the time, even though we are in relationship with God. Does that make sense? So we know him, we're in covenant with him, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us contending on our behalf, but yet we still walk around and the flesh is all around us. And so, but we are not waging a war according to the flesh, okay? And so the way that I liken this is, let's say we have a neighbor and our neighbor is an unbeliever. They're someone that doesn't believe in God their, their God is themselves, or their God is money or their God is whatever, but they don't believe in God. And let's say they come into a financial crisis or one of their children gets really sick, or maybe they're having a hard time in their marriage and they have a certain set of tools. And some of those tools might be like books or the internet or their friend's counsel or what their parents have taught them 
or I don't know what, Oprah, you know? Like, I mean, they, they might, I don't know where they would get their counsel on what to do, but they would have a certain set of tools. And so I believe when I read this where it says, our weapon, it says, but we are not waging war according to the flesh. And so how are our tools when we have to wage war, when there is a problem, how are our tools different? What are our tools? Are they different than the unbeliever? And if so, how? How is our standard different than the unbeliever? And if so, how? Like, what is it that sets us apart? And really asking that question and just kind of taking a moment to think for yourself, what do I have tools in my life that help me overcome when I face trials that the unbeliever doesn't? And if, they, if I do, then what are they and do I know how to use them? Okay, and so the answer is yes, you have tools that the unbeliever doesn't have. And today, if you're not sure how to use them, hopefully we can, we can talk about it. And so it says our weapons of warfare are not of the flesh, but our weapons have divine power to destroy strongholds. Let's all read that together. They have divine power to destroy strongholds. That is good news. And so these weapons that we have, whatever they may be, have power and they have power to destroy strongholds. This is good news. And then it says we destroy arguments. And in some um, translations, it calls those imaginings. Okay. And every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of Christ. Okay. So an example of this might be, I'm in a fight with Tyler because he's frustrating me about something. And I think he is the worst guy to live with. I wish that I didn't live with Tyler. That would be in a lofty imagination that's setting itself up from the knowledge of Christ. Would you agree with me? And so what do you do with something like that when you're in the middle of an argument and, or you have a feeling that you know, oh, I don't want to have that, but it comes into your mind or into your heart. Okay. And so we're going to talk about that. And then it says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion. Oh, we already read that. And then being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. And so... This last part, we, we are ready to punish every disobedience. And so the way that I like to think of, of this is, is when I have chosen to surrender, and that's how I interpret when your obedience is complete, like when I have chosen to surrender all of the things in my life to God and say, for whatever I have, it's yours. If there's a thought, it's yours. If there is a longing, it's yours. And I want to submit it and make it obedient to you. And if it doesn't come into obedience to you, like that wicked thought I just said about my marriage, then I want to destroy it, okay? And let it have absolutely no place in my life. And so I want to say that I believe that our weapons to do, our weapons to fight with are love and mercy and grace and humility and all of the fruits of the Holy Spirit and just the divine creativity that God gives us as he is indwelt within us through the Holy Spirit. Those are our weapons of warfare. And when we use those kinds of weapons, there, it says against these things, there is no law. Like we can use love without end and it will always be victorious over hate. And so there is power and really, there really is so much power in doing it God's way. And so when I think of this picture of 2 Corinthians 10, I think about a cup. Okay, so I've been thinking about preaching this to you guys and I wanted to, to demonstrate somehow like how much I want every single one of you to destroy 
the strongholds that come up against the knowledge of God. And so imagine the stronghold like this cup, okay? And so it's not very meaningful. It is, it's not very valuable, you know? And so what I think is like, let's say you can just imagine any negative opinion, imagination that would come up against the knowledge of God in your life. And then we're gonna just take it and we're gonna go. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Does that sound good? I wish I could give all of you cups. Okay, and then what God gives us in exchange is this, something beautiful, something like fine and lasting and, and delicate. And it might not be a cup for the guys, you know, but I mean, it could be like y'all can imagine, you know, but something so much more valuable than the cup. And sometimes the things that God gives us in exchange could also be easily broken, you know what I'm saying, or easily lost, but they're to be treasured, you know, like it, we, can, we could lose them, do you know what I'm saying, if we don't steward them well? But this is what God is giving in exchange for the evil. He wants to give us good. And so that, I wanted to just share with you, and then I wanted to talk you through that, how this has played out in our marriage and how this has played out in my life. And so, Freedom, so freedom from whatever it is that's at the source of these lofty imaginations and thoughts can come in a moment. And so whatever it is, insecurity, the spirit of anger, the spirit of fear, the spirit of jealousy, uh, uh, whatever it is, it, it can go in a moment. You can say, in the name of Jesus, you have no place in my life. You must be gone forever. And for me, this happened in high school. I had an eating disorder. And in high school, I basically, long story short, in a moment with a doctor, the Holy Spirit met me and I was set free forever. Like I never went back to that habit again, ever. But it took me 10 years to have a healthy relationship with food. It took me 10 years to not feel like I served food, but it served me. It was hard for me five years in of my walking in newness to be in the same room with peanut and M&Ms. They had a hold on me. I had to hide them, you know? It's ridiculous, you guys. But there was a power that I had given food in my life. It, I served it. It didn't serve me. And now I can so thankfully say that there is not one substance or food that has hold over me. I can be in the same room with anything and have complete self-control, but it took 10 years of walking and crushing the vain thoughts unto the Lord and him giving me something pure in exchange. Do you see? And so in a moment, I was set free, and I was truly free indeed, but I had to take my thoughts and my heart and make it obedient unto Christ. Does that make sense? And so this is what it means to walk in, in wholeness throughout your life. And so... Overall, from the beginning probably of my life until here most recently, the greatest dragon or issue in my life has been fear. And specifically for me, it's been the fear of death and mostly just loved ones dying, a little bit of like me dying, mostly just the people that I loved. And it really came out first and foremost in my life where I could see it, touch it, feel it, and go, wow, this is real, is when I was first married to Tyler because I just loved him so much. And he was so sweet and it was all I ever dreamed of. And I had known love through my parents and healthy home and things like that, but I had never fallen in love. I had never chosen, it was to give myself in covenant with another to say, you are mine and I am yours. And for the rest of my life, I'm giving myself to you. It was a big commitment. Marriage is a huge thing. And I 
It scared me because I loved him so much and I knew just in a moment it could all be over. And so for me, I didn't have the tools to take this fear. I didn't know how to do this at that time. And I would, to try and manage it, I would just try to, I would basically play out the worst case scenario of what might happen all the time so that somehow I could control the situation and be prepared. Does that make sense? So like he's driving home from work. Well, we live in Waco. I-35 is like notoriously the most dangerous highway in like America or something. Like he's probably gonna get, oh, he's gonna get in an accident. And then by the time he finally walks in the door, I've worked myself up so much. I'm like, oh, you're alive, you know? And he's like, oh, what are you talking about, you know? And so, but then what that did is it was me trying to manage like, you know, this terrible thing in my life without Jesus. And it robbed every beautiful moment, you know? Like every time we'd have a sweet moment, I'm like, oh, but this could all end in a second, you know? And it was just so sad, you know, especially for him. And so I was not doing well. And I remember one time I had run, uh, gone on a run and he was like mowing the lawn and I was like standing at the edge of our um, house, our first little house ever together. And I was looking at him and I'm like, I've never felt more happy in my whole life just looking at him mowing the lawn. And then it was like, but he could, he could just fall over right now and not be alive anymore. And it sounds funny, but it plagued my heart. And I realized in that moment, I was like, I'm a slave. Like I am a slave to fear. I have no freedom in my own mind and I needed help. I was in trouble. And so, and what I was doing is I was trading. I was trading the good thing for the lie. I was trading the pure, holy thing for the false thing. I was trusting Satan over God to protect me, to comfort me. And so I needed help. And then another area, this was like a little less intense, but more, maybe it was just as intense, but I just wanted to be perfect for him. I didn't want to mess up one thing and I hated when we argued, it was the end of the world. And at one time we were, I was 22 years old too, you know, so give me a break a little. And so I, um, I was making 15 bean soup and I totally overcooked it. And he was having all of his college friends over for dinner. And it was like this big mound of like gray mush, you know? And it was so yucky, nobody wanted to eat it. And I just cried and cried. And I was like, I just, I'm sorry. You know, it was like the end of the world. And so, but in that for me was control. It was fear. It was perfectionism. And it was believing, and even in that, like trying to expect the worst case scenario, it was somehow trying to manage death somehow trying to manage the reality that I was not a perfect person. And if I, could, if I could somehow try hard enough, then maybe I could overcome this like inevitable reality, okay? And so realizing that, it basically boiled all the way down to this, this spirit of self-worship or self-idolatry in my life. And I wouldn't have walked around and said, I believe that I am God, you know? I never thought that, ever. But believing that I could somehow control the impact of life or death in my life, or somehow be perfect, that really is the root place. Do you see what I'm saying? Instead of trusting God, you in your mercy, you will be enough for me if this thing might happen, or when I'm burning the soup, or whatever. And so that was like where I needed freedom. And I think that I didn't have words for it there then, but I could see, wow, I need freedom from the spirit of self-worship to really trust God and find my salvation in him and freedom from the spirit of fear and death. And so then I got pregnant with little Ethan and we were so excited and it just only grew, you know? It was like now all of that same fear was now about this baby, 
you know? And it only got worse with Ethan. And it was around that time in my life that I was first introduced to this whole concept of tending your heart or exchanging these false, the, the false things, the things of Satan for the things of God. And that he is in the business of us saying, here, take this. I don't need it. It isn't serving me, Lord. I'm sorry. I repent. I, what do you, and, I, and please, who do I need to forgive for hurting me in this area? And then I renounce that. I renounce the spirit of death in my life. I renounce this perfectionistic, this self-worship. And then what do you want to give me in exchange? You know, and this practice, we've been teaching about this a lot. If you want to learn more, there's lots of different teachings on it. But this practice of tending your heart is really what began to slowly set me free. And I can say just as of really recently that the Lord has kind of begun to really get to this root place of fear in my life. And I've, I've just even over the last fall, I felt like he like handed me this sword and he was like, are you ready to cut the head off this dragon? You know, it's been bothering you for a long time. Are you ready? And I was like, I'm ready, you know? And so, but it's just, and I did. And it feels like now, like even last night as I'm falling to sleep, there was like these thoughts that were coming through my mind. And it was like, instead of me like nestling them and thinking on them, I was like, that's not part of me. I don't need to have that thought of fear. And it was like, but it was so different than having it be a part of my life. Does that make sense? And so there is freedom, y'all, there is freedom. And I would tell you that there was a time that I thought to be free from fear in my life was impossible. And I would say today that there, I mean, I want more, so much more, but there is levels of freedom that I thought were impossible that I'm operating in now. And so I'm so thankful. And I just wanted to walk you through quickly Something that I began doing when I really started getting free in about 2015, we experienced a lot of tragedy in our church, and a lot of the, my worst fear was happening. There were people that I loved dearly, that there was very quick death. There was things that happened that I never thought I would be able to live through. It happened, and I was learning how to walk through it. And during that time, the Lord kind of gave me this format or this, like, I guess, rhythm of what I would do daily with him. And for as long as I've spent time with God on a daily basis, which I guess is like, I don't know, a long time, 20 years, I, this has been the most thorough, effective rhythm I've ever had. And it's funny, I didn't realize until I was preparing for this message this week that it actually makes an acronym. And so there's five steps that I go through, and I didn't know that it made it, but it says it, that together it's the word cause, like Jesus is my cause or my reason. It's like C-A-U-S-E. And so the first step that I go through with the Lord is I just receive his covenant, C. And I just think about it. I read about it. What does your covenant say? What does it do for me? What does the reality that I'm in covenant with you mean? What, then think of the power that's there. Think of the protection that's there. Read verses about that. And then the A is anointing. And so, Father, today I receive the anointing you've given me as your daughter, how do you want to use me today? Thank you for how you've made me. Thank you that you made me differently. How do you want me to use that today? And then you is for unity. And so that's where I go, Father, who do I need to forgive? And where can I repent and do it? And then suffering um, is the S. And so, Father, I know that this day we might find suffering, or I might find suffering of whatever level, but I trust that you're with me in it. And I choose to be with you together in suffering. And then the E is extravagant love. And so I know that you're this extravagant father. How do you want me to receive your extravagance today? And how do you want me to show it? And so 
For example, he might say, I just want you to snuggle Gwyneth and read to her today, you know, and that's how you're gonna show her my extravagant love. Or it might be bringing a friend some flowers, or it might be taking a nap and being kind to myself, or whatever. And so just in each one of those covenant anointing unity, which is like forgiveness and repentance, the suffering and the extravagant love, I just kind of go through that journey with the Lord. And it really has, especially in the newborn days when I don't have a ton of time with God, it has been so helpful to go through those. And I feel like I'm like ready to go once I've gone through those and have read the scriptures. Um, And so I wanted to go now into just a few practicals on marriage because I I always feel like when I hear sermons, I'm always like, well, give me the practicals, you know? Like, how does it really work in your life? And so one of the practicals that I feel like Tyler and I learned recently in our marriage is to speak kindly to each other and to leave room for our relationship. And I think that sometimes, you know, like I remember I could usually tell when my mom was on the, uh, my mom was in public when she was on the phone with me by her voice, you know? Like she, I was like, oh, you're talking like way like higher and lighter. You must be like at the hair salon, you know? And like the ladies like sitting there listening to our conversation. And so you know how you just talk a little different to each other when someone's around, you know? And I think that that's something that I'm challenging myself in and I would want all of us to be challenged in. Like what if we made our spouse and our children the people that we speak like kindest to? and honor the most with our tone, with our words, you know? How might that change our relationships with them? And so, and then leaving room for your relationship to actually take place. And so Tyler and I are notoriously bad at this. And so we have people all around us that help us, but we just run at a pretty high capacity. And we do kind of a lot of things with our 24-hour period consistently. And sometimes what gets left out is us leaving time and room to really, truly relationally connect. And this last year was probably the apex for us and anyone that was in a part of our lives because we had a baby and we built a house. And that was just, you know, they tell you not to do those things all together, and we did. And so we, and, and so I'm there and I'm pregnant and we have to move out of our current house and move into um, like an like a apartment complex with a bunch of college students. We actually lived next door to the Aggie baseball team and they had loud music all the time, and their hours were different than our hours. Like our kids woke up screaming and waking them up at six o'clock in the morning, and they woke us up at two o'clock in the morning. And so it was just really interesting. I was super pregnant with Madeline, and then we have a golden retriever. She was also super pregnant. It was hilarious. We had nowhere for the kids to play. There was just a lot going on in this little space. And we were like running back and forth all the time to the new house, and so there was a lot of emotions. I was also still healing. Um, from all the things that I shared that happened in 2015. We had lost two babies in miscarriage. And so my heart was still just like tender and grieving. There wasn't a lot of space for me to like process all of that. And so there we were. We were kind of a mess. And so when in any kind of hardship time, any person tends to kind of lean on their strengths and sort of like... um, put the things they have to work on a little bit more to the side, okay? So like for example, my strengths in relationship are that I love to be really deeply relationally connected. I love to understand like the deep waters of our heart if we're friends and make sure that that's like peaceful and unified between us. I'm a high feeler and I'm an external processor, okay? And so usually while I'm talking through how I feel, I will exaggerate a truth or say something I don't really think or feel 
and then like learn what I actually feel once I've said it out loud. Does that make sense? And then I'd be like, oh, I didn't really mean that. I, now I get what I, uh, but it's like all while I'm talking, okay? <laughs> I'm also like a really good external process, I mean, oh, sorry, I'm a really good multitasker. So I always have like five or six or 12 browsers opened in my mind, you know? <laughs> And I could just like click on that one and then click on that one and then click on that one, okay? And so I've grown in my maturity and my external processing, thankfully. And sometimes I'll even like get my phone out and I'll leave Tyler a whole voice memo that I'm not planning on him ever hearing <laughs> just so that I can get all my words out and then talk to him. Because my external processing can be exhausting for him. Because he's like, where are you? I don't know, I'm lost. <laughs> and the, you know, and so, so that's like my, my challenge. Okay, so Tyler's strengths is he is a servant. He loves to serve in his relationships. And if he finds something that's not right, he wants to fix it. He wants to make it right. And he wants to find the solution. And if something's not quite the best it could be, he wants to make it better. And so it doesn't matter if it's the silverware drawer or the way our kid can ride a bike or the whatever it might be, our relationship. He just wants to find a way to make it better. And that's an amazing gift on his life. And he's also a really strong thinker, okay? He just leans in that thinking realm of his mind so much and he can be really really good at listening to your feelings and understanding your feelings but it just takes extra capacity for him and he has to be undistracted and so if he's in a place where he's like undistracted and he can listen doesn't have anything going on he can do a great job if he's in the middle of it he's also not a very good multitasker he kind of needs to do one thing at a time and so if he's in the middle of, of doing the dishes and I'm trying to just talk about my emotions it's really hard for him to like zone in on what I'm saying and be really considerate and thoughtful, you know? And so you can see like how our differences could clash, especially when we're, he's laughing, especially when we're in the middle of like a stressful time, okay? And so we've learned, you know, like I don't try to bring up my emotions with him when he's like doing the dishes or on the way to work and we try to set up the time to do that. But in that crazy season when we lived with the pregnant dog and the, you know, there was not, Time, we didn't have time. And so we would have conversations like this all the time. I'd be like, babe, those aren't the windows that I thought we ordered for that room. And I really was hoping they would look more like this. And I show him the picture. And he's like, sorry, Ash, this is what we've got. We're putting him in today. You need to get over it. <laughs> okay, I understand. I just feel a little disappointed because I just wish that maybe we had confirmed that or like talked it through a little bit more. Well, I'm sorry, babe, we've got to move on. And then he walks away and I'm like, oh, okay. Well, do I call a friend about how I still feel sad? Do I, do I press back and talk to him more? Like, Holy Spirit, like, what do I do? You know, like, I feel sad and we didn't resolve that, you know? And so we didn't have the time. And then also I wanna say this, this was after Madeline was born. And so I, real, I want to say to all of the men on behalf of all of the women that having a baby is a really big ordeal. Like, and that there is real hormones that really affect the way that you feel. It's like a physical restraint. And it is also true of a woman that hasn't had a baby just cycling monthly. That is a real thing. And it's not an excuse to sin, ladies, you know? But what it is is that we need compassion and mercy, you know, like every 30 days. <laughs> and we just need it, okay? And so I'm asking for that on behalf of all of the women because it's real, okay? Okay, so there's that. All right, and so we, 
And so, okay, this is gonna get serious real quick. So I, what happened after clash, like the window scenario, clash, together, hard conversation, walk away, it's fine, Ashley, he loves you, no big deal, no big deal. Gosh, she's just never happy with anything. And so like, I mean, that was like clash, walk away, clash, walk away, clash, walk away. There wasn't any like mega sin, no event, big thing happening, no infidelity, no yucky abuse, but that broken relational communication and that lack of capacity to spend time and really understand and love one another and respect one another led to some pretty serious brokenness in our marriage, okay? And so basically at this time last year, after it was all said and done and we were in the house, we were kind of looking at each other going like, I don't really like you and I don't really like you either, you know, and I don't know what to do about and it was hard and we were finally able to say out loud that that broken communication led to this lofty imaginative thought that was founded in pain that was real, that was founded in lots of different scenarios that could have like justified this thought. But for me, it was Tyler hates my emotions and life would be easier and more peaceful if I could somehow turn them off. And so I tried to emotionally shut down. Tyler his lofty imaginative thought that was founded in pain in real situations, Ashley is entitled and controlling and always wants her way. She'll never be happy. Ooh. Okay, so there we were, believing these terrible things about each other. And how, did, how do we move forward? How could we ever be free? You know, and we were people that love God. We're spending time with him, had an amazing community around us. We're doing all of those things. And so the only thing I can tell you is Jesus. <laughs> He's the only way. And it's been a good, long, hard year of rebuilding trust and being willing to say, even though that stung and it felt like, it felt like before, I'm gonna believe the best. And giving ourselves space to communicate and spend time with each other, leaving margin and room in our life. Me making commitments to like never raise my voice again, never slam another door. Who slams doors? I don't know. I was just, ah, you know? And I don't know if anyone else ever did that. Me was stomping your foot, you know? But like, I just felt angry, you know? And I needed to get it out. And Jesus came and he broke us free from those things. He set us free forever because of who he is. And I still remember the moment that I actually really forgave Tyler and I was sitting on the front porch and I was like remembering the things and I would try to like, I would have another situation and it would remind me of a time we got into a conflict and I would want to remind him about how I was right or how he was wrong. And I was like still just in that same mindset and I felt like the Lord was like, enough. And I was reading about how he took all of that upon himself on the cross. And I was like, I finally forgive him. And I put a line in the sand. I was like, I'm willing to walk away from that whole season and not define him by it ever again. And when I think about forgiveness, there's this story that I have to tell about a friend of ours. And they were close, close to us and um, the wife started to struggle and she started, they were married for a few years and she started to see another man. She went to another nation with this man for a while and finally came back and it was just so sad and uh, just heartbreaking. It was a couple just like you or me, you would never imagine that it would ever happen to them. And he, uh, they were, we were the, some of the only ones they brought in on the whole thing. And she was gone for probably two years and 
he would, um, finally she left the other man and was just living in an apartment in their city and he would go to the apartment and he would wait for her and he'd write her notes and he would um, take her on dates when she finally warmed back up to that and he never ever left like her, his covenant with her even though she completely left him. And when finally she came back, she called me and she said, hey, I want you to know I'm coming back. And I was angry at her for what she had done and how she had hurt him. And I said, well, I just need you to tell him everything. Like, whatever it was that you did, I need you to tell him. Don't hide it. Because then when you come back, it's going to be like hanging there in the middle of your marriage. And just tell him it all. And she said, well, Ashley, actually, when I asked the father about it, I felt like he told me, like in Narnia, when Edmund betrayed all of his brothers and sisters to the White Witch, how when he finally came back, he went to Aslan, and Aslan spoke to him, and then he came down from the hill with Aslan, and he said to the brothers and sisters, we're to speak no more of what has gone on. Like, he's forgiven. And I listened to her and I thought, well, great for you. You know, you can just be forgiven, you know, when you just dragged him through the mud for two years and that's your, that's how your response is. You know, I was just like, and I said that, I was very upset, you know, and it, and then we hung up and it didn't take but five minutes for her husband to call me and say, who do you think you are? He was like, Jesus forgave me. I can forgive her. I don't need to know what she did. She's back and I forgive her. Y'all, oh my gosh. I was so convicted and still to this day, when I think of forgiveness, I think of them. And I see them now all the time and they, they love each other, they have children together, they, are, they laugh together and I just watch and I'm I like, I watch him and I'm like, you're so much like Jesus, you know? And so forgiveness is real and it really can happen. And it really is a miracle given to us because of Jesus. Are you with me? And so I wanted her to be punished for her sin and God took his punishment upon himself. And so I repent for the way I responded to her. It was a long time ago, but I still confess it all to you. Okay, and so then there's that. Okay, and then I have a little bit of time left and so I wanted to share one more um, short story about after we were healing from that time during this last year, how we had a conflict that could have easily become like a huge conflict, but we handled it really well and we learned a big key truth at the same time. And it was that we are on the same team and it's not about whose fault, it's about how did we get here. And I think so much of our thinking in the earlier hard time was whose fault was it and not how did we get here? And so the story was that we were playing in the woods, or Tyler was playing in the woods with the kids and his wedding ring came off in the woods and it was winter time, there's leaves all around and it was just gone. And they came back and he was like, babe, I lost my wedding ring, it's gone. And I was like, oh, really? And he was like, yeah, I mean, oh well, you know? I was like, oh well, like, uh, what does that mean, you know? And. Uh, so we handled it well. We went to like a date, I think. We went to like the movie and then I came in the car on the way back from the movie. I was like, babe. So I'm like trying to practice like our new mindset. We've like crushed the old one, you know? And I was like, it kind of makes me feel sad that you're not a little more sad about losing your wedding ring. 
<laughs> and he was like, why? And I was like, well, because it's just really important and valuable and it just feels like you should be sad about losing it, you know? And he's like, but there's no point in being sad because I can't find it, you know, it's lost, you know? And I was like, well, yes, but I, did, I understand that, you know? And I said, but um, I'm not asking you, he was like, I didn't do anything wrong. And I was like, I know, but it still hurt my feelings. You know? And he's like, I actually think that it's maturity that I'm not sad. And I was like, I know, babe, I know. And, and, <laughs> and he goes, so why am I apologizing if I didn't do anything wrong? And I was like, it's more just acknowledging the part that you played in hurting my feelings. So you can just say, man, I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. And he goes, man, I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. And I was like, <laughs> It doesn't feel like you're really sorry. <laughs> and he goes, I'm not really sorry. That I... <laughs> and so this just went over and over and over again. And so in that moment, we realized, okay, now, new mindset. And so it's not whose fault is it? You know, I didn't do anything wrong, but it was like, how did we get here? You know? And so that was like revelation for Tyler in that moment. So helpful and just like helpful for us to feel like we're on the same team. Couple more quick, quick practicals. Ask for what you need, what you want. If you want flowers for your birthday, write them a little note. Flowers for my birthday would be nice. If you want to be surprised sometimes, hey, please surprise me. So you're not just hoping he gets it, you know, or she gets it, but like help set each other up for a win, you know, or for a win. And then <clears throat> we experience God differently. I used to push Tyler to experience God like me and it was not helpful. And so just like see how God has made them. Don't hide your sin from one another. I know my story about that couple. It's not really like a principle in terms of like, if you have sinned against your spouse in any way, like they should be the first one to know and it will bring life and healing. Um, and then just with a little note on comparison, I just wanna say that like in our day and age, I think with like specifically pulling social media kind of like out into the light for a second, I wanna just challenge us. like. Not with like the parts of it that are used for marketing or raising money or like vacationing or ideas, but like the parts where you're like taking pictures of your family or yourself and you're, you're putting them out there for the world or even just like a small group of people. Or you're sitting there and you're spending time viewing the life events of someone else. I just want you to ask the Father, how does that edify me? How does that strengthen me? And how does that help society in general? To just the act of, of viewing someone else's life in that way. And then also of like capturing yourself and putting it out there. And what does that do to yourself? And just ask him, how is it edifying? And I would love to hear from any of you how it does edify you. And some of the things that I have learned just about it and that the reason why I'm warning against it is because there's parts of it with your brain that kind of put off the same hormones as like a drug, like where there's like a rush when you post something and wait for the response, like I think it's dopamine or something like that, and then the feeling of gratification, and it can really become very addictive in nature, you know? And it can make you feel bound to this thing. And then also, there's just a whole generation of people that have never known what it's like 
to have social media in their world, but the younger generation hasn't ever lived without it. And so there's a certain level of maturity and a place to put it for older folks where they're like, oh yeah. But for the younger folks, I really feel like there's just an, an we should have an openness to really like openly communicating about how it affects our society to be um, allowing for this marketing of oneself and viewing the inner world or per perceived inner world of someone else and how that affects our society as a whole. And how would we want to train our children in it? Like, would we want to say, hey, Ethan, here, buddy, let me teach you how to take a picture and how to put it out there. Do we want that to be what our children are trained to do? And how is that affecting them? as a generation. And so I just want to say it. I feel like it's something that lives, if you've heard me talk about it before, you know it's a, something I feel like is worth challenging. And so have fun with each other and help each other's wildest dreams come true. And those are my last little practicals. And I want you all to stand. And I'm going to read um, Revelation 5 over us as we close. And um, I just want to remind you of the cup. And I want to remind you that this, that any lofty imagination, anything that is set up against the knowledge of Christ, God has given us the divine power and the weapons to crush, okay? And then he gives us beautiful things in exchange. And so as I read this over you in the power of who he is, I just want you to listen and then I want you to ask the Father, what is it in my life that you want me to, to crush? What is it in my life that I can take captive and make obedient to Christ? Um, and he will do it. He will, he will set you free. And so it, Revelation 5 says, And then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even look in it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And then one of the elders came to me and he said, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne, the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and seven seals, which are the seven spirits of God sent out to all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls of incense. And they sang a new song, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open the seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and every people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign in the earth. And then I looked, and around I heard the throne, the living creatures and the elders' voices, and many angels numbering thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and glory and blessing. Worthy is the one who sits on the throne. So we thank you, Lord, 
It is you. You are the one who sets us free. You are the one that builds our relationships, Lord. You are the one who's worthy. And we put our hope and our trust in you because we need you, Father. We need you to set us free. We need you in every area of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.